very special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce. This is episode, technically, 153. I promise 152 is coming. We haven't forgotten. But this is episode 153. I'm joined on the line once again by my co-host, Sneaky Pete, to talk all things Magic the Gathering. How are you today, Pete? I'm good. Uh, it's good to be back here. Uh, we are very excited for the next few segments we're doing. Again, our content is at thelotuscouncil.com and also on various Discord servers. Take us away, Bruce. Indeed. Um, audience, if you want to reach out to us on social media, all the information you need is down in the show notes down below. So uh, you can go find us there on the internet. All right, today, Pete, we're going to start with some garbage or great. Are you ready? I got a good one here for you. Let's do it. As all foretold. Right. As, <laughs> as foretold. Pete's here all week, folks. Okay. Today, so I'm going to start with as foretold. So I went to the Wilds of Eldraine Enchanting Tales, and I went and found a couple of cards that have previously been very um, exciting cards people wanted to brew with, including this one. So as foretold is a two and a blue for an enchantment that says, at the beginning of your upkeep, put a time counter on as foretold. Once each turn, you may pay zero rather than pay the mana value for a, for a spell you cast with mana value X or less, where X is the number of time counters on as foretold. Uh, this one was had people really excited when it came out in Amonkhet. Um, mm-hmm. um, but in the... It was 2017 when Amonkhet came out. In the almost... Well, seven years since it's been... Almost seven years... Does this hold up anymore? Is this something that people want to play? Should people be including it in their decks? It reminds me a lot of Aether Vial, right? Um, yeah. Where you would cheat something out each turn, hypothetically. In terms of limited, this is like a fun meme sort of card that you can do stuff with. I remember when I... Because I first got in the game around that time, so I remember people like raving about this card. But... I I don't really it's really difficult um, to pull it off every single turn because of the way our decks are designed and the yeah. variants that we have. So I guess if you're playing a deck that cares about counters in some way like like parry, you know, the pulverizer or something like that and you, there's some sort of buff for putting counters on things, it might be a card that you're consider, but I feel like there's a lot of better like three mana things you could be doing nowadays. Um, I love this card because it's so weird. Like, it's so different, right? It's very conditional, and you have to jump through some hoops to let it run. But, yeah, I feel like it just sits dead on the board most of the time. What do you think? Well, so here's my problem with this card. So I, let's imagine you open it up, and you have, you have this in your hand. And on turn three, you go to resolve your as told which means you've done nothing to impact the board in any way. You haven't ramped. You haven't done anything to put you know extra lands into play or anything that you're going to be able to actually utilize even next turn like your next turn you get a counter on it and now you can cast a one mana spell which i'm not sure is actually going to be particularly like what are you casting it's turn three or turn four you would have already cast your one mana spell maybe you don't want to cast the one mana spell in your hand because it's a swords to plowshares or Something. So it's going to take a couple of turns for this thing to get up to speed and being something where it's going to actually meaningfully impact the game that you're playing. Right. So I I just feel like when the average deck, you know, on Moxfield, I was doing some poking around on Moxfield and checked, uh, you know, uh, a slew of decks that have been print that have been 
listed in the last, let's call it 10 days sort of idea. And what was what I was finding is the mana curve for most of these decks usually fell somewhere between 1.6 and 1.9 once you accounted for having lands in their decks. So if you're talking about the average mana cost of your spells being 1.6 to 1.9, you don't really want to spend three mana on a card that doesn't let you get like impact the board and advance your game in a meaningful way. It's like it's almost like it's too slow. Yeah. And so this could help you do something spicy. And I like I like the the thought of putting it in Parry the Pulverizer because it's a it puts a funny counter on some another permanent that Parry's going to care about. Um, I kind of like it in a proliferate deck where you can accelerate the number of counters on it to a point where you have something useful to cast. But then it also gets to the point where if you proliferate too frequently or get it like too high, right. let's say it accrues too many counters on it, you may not have an eight or a nine drop that's going to allow you to, that you're going to be able to utilize. So I don't know. I don't. I don't love the card. It's in nineteen thousand decks though. So there's a oh lot gosh. of people out there. That, yeah, there's a lot of people out there that are very excited for it. And it being it's just catching a reprint, meaning there's a whole lot of new people who may not have had it in decks because it was either too expensive or maybe right. they didn't play during Amonkhet block that are now going to have access to this at a price point that's far more reasonable. And they're going through the process of deciding if they want to play it or not. I'm suggesting that people probably should avoid this one and, and move to other things. Um, I mean, obviously, if your heart is set on doing the As For, to as for Told thing, uh, go ham, but I think it's a, I think it's yeah. a bit of a trap and leading you into a, a situation where you're not really helping your deck move forward in the early stages of the game. Yeah, the the timing like the timing is is interesting, where uh, it's going to take another three turns for you to do something with the card yeah. at least, which is a yeah, lot. Sort of... It's a lot of time, right? Uh, well, turns four, five, and six are crucial. They're the crucial and, turns, I'd and, say, and, in and, most games. And you, now. Yeah, and you yeah. sunk and you sunk three mana into something that's not going to help you in turn four, unlikely to help you in turn five. And by six, okay, now it's coming online. So I think you're doing. I think you need to be doing other things on turn. And then there's always the argument of like, well, what happens if you top deck this late in the game? You're right, it, absolutely. This is does stone nothing because if you get to turn eight or nine, and now you're resolving and ask for told, you're like. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? So I think this is not a, I think this is a trap. I think it's a card that people probably should be doing, putting it, taking out of decks and putting in other things. Um, yeah. You know, that's my view on it. What's your first pick tonight? All right. So this card actually, um, if you don't count the list, has one printing, but it's 30 cents. It's from Commander 2020. So it's actually rather recent. And it's called Netherborn Altar. So it's a colorless and a black mana. It's an artifact, so it's a colored artifact, which is interesting, like a lot of artifacts are colorless. You tap it, put a soul counter on Netherborn Altar, put your commander into your hand from the command zone. Then you lose three life for each soul counter on Netherborn Altar. So this card is is this something. Is <laughs> this is gas. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna jump right in here. Like, folks, this is a way for you to cheat commander tax. So if you have a if you have a commander that is a lightning rod to die because it's very powerful. Um, this is going to allow you to circumvent commander tax at the expense of some life points. Um, we've often made the joke here in commander that with 40 life points, you can do like, paying your life. It's like, this is like converting your life points into ma extra mana. 
And you we're pretty okay with that. Like people routinely spend their life points to pay for all sorts of things quite happily in Commander, and this is no exception. Um, now, I imagine by the time it gets to counter mm, three or four, you're thinking twice about whether or not you want to activate it or not. But by then, hopefully you've managed to ramp to be able to effectively get your commander out, but also hopefully you've been able to leverage your commander now to significant advantage so that you the, the amount of life you've, you've, you've sunk into this effect is significantly reduced. So like this is like this card to me feels like a very strong card. Uh, I really like the fact it comes down to two mana. So like, you know, turn you know turn two if you don't have a an arcane signet or some sort of ramp piece to play, it doesn't cost you much to go and put this in your hand. Like put this on the field and leave it there passively for a couple of turns if you until you need it. Someone you play your four drop commander or your five drop whatever, and then somebody turns around and kills it. Well, now you have a way to make sure that you're able to redeploy it with at the expense of only a mere couple of points of life. And I think that's, that is fantastic. Um, there is a point where uh, enough's enough. You can't give too, you can't pay any more life into this, but I think I, as an outset, like one turn, once, twice, maybe even three times, I'd be pretty okay with getting my commander returned to my hand. So I'm not having to pay commander tax. Pete, you found this one. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a card that can change the game dramatically, you know, just for one activation. You know, uh, three life is really nothing in this format. Um, it's literally just you're bolting yourself once. Most decks that are in black as well have ways to gain life back. Uh, so it's not even like you play this card, you can activate it immediately as well. So mm -hmm. unless someone stifles the trigger or something, if you have an expensive commander that that is just a house that takes a while to get on the board um it, it just accelerates uh, everything that you want to do in this game for the cost of nothing and most people haven't seen this card i mean they're not going to really respond to this i would say uh because they can't. no they're, they're, well they're not going to see this as being a threat until right. they like you play resolve your like tox roll or something ridiculous they try and kill it you go oh i'll put tox back in my hand for three life they're like wait a second mm -hmm. I was banking on that coming out, right. you know, in a couple of turns now, because I you you need to get man land ramp or like hit land eight nine in order to get talk show back online. You're like, no no no, I'll cast them again next turn, and yeah. they go, oh uh oh, because there's only going to be so much removal that people are prepared to like just fling around to soak up and like if you're gonna so they're going to do it because you're going to have a high impact commander, then this mm -hmm. sort of way of protecting your commander is definitely to your advantage um because like i said like i would probably quite happily use it three times like happily and by the time i'm done three times if i have to use it a fourth but that's like if you've played you've cast your commander four times by the time that's come out that's a lot of times you played your tox roll or your grevin or your crick or your whatever and you're sitting there like daring your opponents find some more my friend uh, I could do this all day. So I think it's, it's like a great a, card. It's like a two for one, uh, or at least it feels like it, you know, as, as a card, it's, it's like they have to spend mana to either destroy the artifact or kill your commander again. It's kind of like using command beacon in response to someone destroying your commander. I've used command beacon a lot. I've started putting it in almost every single deck um, just because 
there are times in games where people will hate your commander out of a game and you feel bad because you're unable to cast it anymore. And it happens a lot. I mean, especially in games where people's decks are very balanced. Um, they have a very good mixture of ramp and removal and, uh, you know, stabilization. Uh, there are times where, like, it takes me 10 mana or 12 mana to play a 3 mana commander, right? So, happens to me and Bruce all the time when we play against each other, too. We're very yeah, good at yeah. targeting each other. Um, so, it's always funny to see that, too. But, yeah, not to, not to beat the, the, you know, not to beat this up a little bit, but... Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, if, if if anybody's ever had their two drop commander suddenly cost them ten mana because it's died a bunch of times, you know what I'm talking about when you go and say, "Yeah, I'd rather pay three life and get my commander back in my hand than have to pay four, six, eight, ten mana." Like, honest to goodness, I would. I mean, I definitely remember playing a guy who had an Amara. Uh, the from it was the green white one that taps to make a token, right? And this whole deck was untappy, tappy shenanigans, and we and we knew it. And we made we by the end of the game, Amara was sixteen mana to cast, and he was still insisting on casting her. He would have happily traded life points to get his Amara right. back in his hand to play her for right. two, like happily. And mm-hmm. so, not that he could have because it's a black artifact, but you get the you get the meaning. It's a very yeah. it's a very powerful effect. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. Cool. Okay, my second one today, a little bit quicker, I think is good. Is Prismatic yeah. Omen. This one also appears in the Enchanted, uh, the Enchanted Tales selection, and so it reads like this: One green for an enchantment. Lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their other types. Um, my thought here, like, so people have been talking for the last probably year or more about whether Chromatic Lantern has any place in the format anymore, as as being sort of too expensive uh, as a mana rock. Does this card have any place? Does this have any appeal now? It's two mana. It's come. Yeah. The price has come way down because it yeah. was twelve dollars for twelve dollars. <laughs> it was very expensive. Yeah. Um. This reprinted Wilds of Eldraine has now made it about one. So for a yeah. dollar, does this interest people as being a way to fix their mana in very mana intensive colors? So I think Chromatic Lantern is a great comparison, right? Because I think the Lantern is better because it, it actually gives you an extra mana, right? Where mm-hmm. Prismatic Omen does not do that. It just says a static ability. But then if you're going to play green, you might as well just play Dryad, you know, Ilzian of the Dryad Grove anyway, because it's three mana. It's a 2-3 enchantment creature that lets you play an additional land and do what Prismatic Omen does. So Prismatic Omen is literally being replaced by two, three mana cards. And like you said, I mean, green has so many ways at two mana to get you a land out of out of the deck and into play. So this card, again, like it used to be a staple um, back when we started playing where decks were slower and less explosive. There was less treasure production. There was less ways to easily filter your mana through. Um, like there's better lands now, right? There's better lands you can play that are cheaper, like cheaper costing um there's better spells out there there's so many ways to make treasures now in different colors that normally didn't have the access uh i just think this card has become obsolete so i tend to agree with you i think i mean one of the things that i've noticed is that the ability to go and get the mana you need out of your deck is so prevalent now uh and there are so many good lands that you can play whether it's fetching for a triome or shock lands or even they had those basics, like those tap basics, in, or not basics, they're tapped 
dual colored lands from Dominary United that were mm-hmm. land typed. You can yep. fetch for those. You can go and get the Capenna, the Capenna sack lands too. I mean, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. In the yeah. in the tricolored, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's lots of ways, and then <laughs> and then and then they put it like Lords of the Rings. Those the five creatures with land cycling. There's like plane cycling. Well, you can go get a planes. If the right. planes is a sacred foundry, you can go and do it. So, like, unless you're really in a heavy five color deck, like you're playing the dragons or the Najilas or whatever else. But if you're just three colors, do you really need to go get a prismatic omen? Probably not. If you're in green, you can get the lands you need to make your deck mana base work, and you would could use that card slot to do something more impactful. So, I'm of the opinion like this is again a bit of a trap. Um, it is appears in again almost twelve thousand decks. Um, that means, and that's like twelve thousand decks in that have been printed like like put into EDH Rec or into other programs for the, in the last two years. Wow. So that's a lot of people, including yeah. it. So I again, I think people are still thinking about it in like yesteryear, and yeah. should be like in in a current modern environment of Commander. This card doesn't really cut the cut the mustard anymore, and it's probably something unless you're playing it for budget reasons. If you're playing like a sure. budget brew for a dollar, sure, I it, that's a that's a pretty reasonable inclusion. But if you're looking to really like give yourself a, the best chance to to get a win, then you probably don't want cards that don't carry a lot of weight. So yeah, I mean, it goes back to what you said earlier about as foretold, right? It it's it's two mana. It really doesn't do anything when it does goes on the board, right? When it yeah, resolves play, the board, I'm, it doesn't really I'm do anything. I'm play an Arcane Signet every time. Arcane Signet yeah. every time. And I know you hate that card. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Like I, I have been on record here on the show saying that if we're going to ban something in Commander, that we should ban Arcane Signet because I think it just is so ubiquitous. I despise it. Um, <laughs> Wizards has admitted they shouldn't have printed it, but now they have. Um and okay. uh, so before I get oh. soapboxy anyway, what is your last card you brought today? What is this? This, this is looks, not a new, this, this is not a ubiquitous card at all. This is a no. two dollar or one dollar card from Prophecy called Dual Nature. So it's a six mana enchantment, four colorless into green. Whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield, its controller creates a token that's a copy of that creature. Whenever a non-token creature leaves the battlefield. Exile all tokens with the same name as that creature. And when dual nature leaves the battlefield, exile all tokens created with dual nature. So what do you think, Bruce? I think this is a gas. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I know I would, I, would, I, I have now proceeded to dump on a pair of enchantments that don't do anything when they hit the board. And then I love the six mana one that doesn't do anything either. But it's like, <laughs> but like, I think this is like a really cool card. Um, it synergizes really well with a lot of different things. Oh wow! I'm just looking at the EDH rec page. Like, what do we think of like Wear Fox Bodyguard? It comes in, you exile a bunch of things, like two things now. Like that seems seems fun. Um, it, it partners buddies up pretty well with Jaxus, which seems like silly. Uh, <laughs> Delina. Um, yeah. You know, like you know what card got got me thinking about? I was thinking, what does this do with Gruff Triplets? That's what four, five copies of Gruff Triplets, because when they ETB, no. right? I, wait, yeah, wait, so, so you make a copy. Next two so copies, make... right? They so, yeah, see so each you... other. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like I, I literally, my it's, brain it's... is hurting. I... <laughs> it's it like an exponential. 
It, so, oh I don't know. So like Gruff Triplets, these <laughs> Gruff Triplets makes three copies, and then the 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 enchantment sees the original like the Gruff Triplets that yeah. got cast and makes three more. So you now have six mm. Gruff Triplets. Anyway, it all sounds silly to me. Um yeah. and like this, but like and the reason that there, I feel differently about this than I did with the, the two and three mana cards is like I'm not setting up here. I'm already set. I've got my mana foundation. Now I'm looking for some way to do something. Like, like come down with a hammer to end the game here, and this is going to like you know, oh, whether you make a copy of a big Eldrazi or a copy of a big scary monster, and then use that. Now you have two copies of it. You're going to find that you're going to get you know great. You're going to find yourself ending the game pretty quickly. Um, things like real quick, yeah. So it doesn't even have to resolve. Like you could flicker something, it'd come in, and you'd get the value too. That's the crazy part about this whole thing. Oh, like wow. yes, I hadn't yes, thought the, of to that. the token would leave right if if it was already there, but yeah. like this card has so much utility. Like you you re reanimate a creature, right? Say you animate dead a, an eight drop creature, you get two copies of it for two mana. As well. Oh my God, Felidar Guardian. Oh, so man. like, or, or you know what I mean? So like, you play reanimate, or you play like uh, yeah. any Goro's Vengeance. You know, one of those classic. Oh my God. I'm looking at the creatures that partner with this, like Sun Titans and yep, yep, and yeah, the other the other like the Elish Norm Mother Machines, like yeah. making double uh, Mole Drifter. I'm like, oh my goodness! Oh, well, four cards for three mana is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So, um, folks, anyway. <laughs> folks, we're like, if you're not getting like, this is like, this is this would be like one of the things you're looking to use to help you either extract so much value to pull you way ahead or to slam the door shut. Yep. And like that's the difference between this and a card like As Foretold and um, Prismatic Omen, where you're look really looking at those are ways to fo foundational underpinnings to your deck to keep your deck moving forward. Well, we've already got to the forward part. We're at the end stage. We need to find a way to put a hammer in this and nail it shut. So that's what why I'm more bullish on this as a budget option at like a dollar or two for this sort of effect. You can get some really busto cards and do some really busto things that are going to let you seal the deal and not break the wallet. So I'm a big fan of this one. I think this is really cool. Yeah, um, and it, it like you could go so many different ways with this. Real quick, my last comment: um, you could do tokens and you play Creator Hoof. You get two Creator Hoofs. You could go the Enchantress list where you exile from your graveyard, make a token copy of it, and you make like three token copies of it because of their shenanigans. Um, and then you have a ton of triggers, right? With Enchantress, mm -hmm. uh, like, card draw and all that, um, with, with, like, Sithis and stuff like that. Uh, the other thing is, if you find a way to break the Legend rule, which is not very hard nowadays, uh, you could realistically copy your commander at least once or twice, which is really fun. And I think we'd have a lot of fun seeing this played against us, Bruce, for sure, right? Well, I would get a gas out of this for sure. I would love it. So, <laughs> I think the cards are excellent. For a dollar, you can't go wrong. Um, I, it's funny because like we we have a show that hasn't come out, folks, because we didn't like how it sounded, and so last week's pick was like was was a card that Pete pitched. And I was like, that's cool, and you know what I did? I went and ordered it. So I've got a copy of Compost sitting here in a binder. Awesome. I'm like, yeah, I gotta play Compost. <laughs> it's, or, or is it maybe over here? I got it. I got it right there. Compost. Cool. In in white in white border too, because that's oh, you know, makes the best thank makes you. the best trolls. So My anyway, um, like <laughs> these heart. are this is a, these are the sorts of cards that get us excited because we don't usually see them. And so yeah, mm -hmm. let's 
Let's make these a thing again. All right. Let's move on to segment two. So we've been highlighting different decks, Pete. We've been, we, we did a section on the, 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 the unyet-to-be-released deck uh, is on graveyard strategies. We had another one on tokens uh, from two weeks ago. Today we're going to look at Voltron decks. And so before we get going, so we wanted to make sure everyone understood what we're talking about when we were referring to a Voltron deck. Maybe you're new to the game. Maybe you haven't seen Voltron decks before because they're yeah. not the most common strategy anymore. There was a time when I thought, Voltron strategies were fairly common, um, but they've sort of been put on the back, the back burner. So let's talk about how to make a Voltron deck come to life. So a Voltron deck in, uh, is a deck that revolves around a single creature, usually it's the commander, but not always, and uses it to deal lethal damage to an opponent. Um, the strategy revolves around loading up a single creature. That's why often your commander, because you're looking to deal combat, uh, sorry, commander damage to it, then to make the threat massive and deal lethal damage. Um, and so there's a number of different ways that we can do this. Uh, right. We've got two different examples of it today that we wanted to share with you guys and then sort of talk about the fundamentals of the nitty gritty so that if you're sitting down and you say, I want to build that deck, what do you need to be thinking about in order to put your strategy into play? So Pete, what sort of, what is your example of a Greven list that you, or I just spilled the beans. Okay, I'll start that again. Let's go back and try what sort of example of a Voltron strategy have you brought today? Yeah, so uh, Bruce alluded to this. Uh, it, it's Greven Predator Captain. So this card is rather old, uh, comparatively in Magic. It's a dollar, um, but it can do a ton of powerful things. There's many different builds right now out there um, as people discover that life loss is actually a huge value engine um, in Commander. There, I saw a $20 build this morning and uh, over $2,000 build, and they both were super powerful. Uh, because Greven's ability says uh, he has Menace, first of all, so it's difficult for him to be blocked. Uh, and he gets plus X, plus zero, where X is the amount of life you've lost this turn. Whenever Greven attacks, you may sacrifice another creature. If you do, draw cards equal to that creature's power and lose life equal to its toughness. Um, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of cards do that anymore. Uh, life loss, they, they realized that life loss is very hard to control. Um, in, in Commander, especially the... The, the card designers were like, uh, yeah, this is kind of broken. Um, so we're going to try to mitigate this. But back in 2017, this was one of the options for one of the uh, pre-cons back then. And um, I fell in love with this card, the lore of the card, and also just the overall shenanigans that I could do. Um, it's not a very traditional Voltron deck because, again, you're leveraging your life. So you're really speeding up the process of either winning the game or losing the game, where Voltron can be... A slugfest. Uh, so, Bruce, what about you? I mean, your deck is more of that sort of uh, volume when it comes to the deck itself. Yeah. So, I my example is Dagatar the Adamant, which is a little bit different. So, Dagatar is three and a white for a zero zero legendary creature or human warrior from Fate Reforged. There's Vigilance, and Dagatar the Adamant enters the battlefield with four plus one plus two counters on it, and then has an activated ability of of one colorless, and then uh, Black-Green Hybrid, Black-Green Hybrid. Move a plus one plus one counter from target creature onto a second target creature. Which is interesting templating because it doesn't say you have to control either creature. Um, I could take it from a, uh, a card that my opponent controls and put it on Pete's Greven if I wanted to. Which is kind of interesting Interesting text on the card. Also, what it, if you're not familiar with the way these are templated, because... The creature is white, but the activated ability has green and black. 
this is an Abzan colored commander rather than a mono white commander, despite the fact it looks like it's a mono white creature. So this deck was leveraging putting plus one plus one counters on creatures. And uh, what it looks to do is put them, move them around. Uh, there's lots of ways to accrue significant value off the movement of counters uh, and putting them on targets and then making your your threats large enough uh, that any one of them could not could KO an opponent. So you're kind of Voltroning everybody up and then demoing them that way. Oftentimes you'll concentrate on one creature and then use that, but you can use any interchangeable piece. Whereas Pete's deck relies on using Grevin specifically, yeah. I can use any creature, vomit a bunch of counters onto it, and use that as a battering ram, and I, I would get just as far. And in fact, I'd prefer to use another creature and not my commander because I would like to make sure that my commander stays on the battlefield, even though it's likely the root of the problem for my opponents. So, um, it's uh, I'm going to be honest here, folks. It's a very fair deck, um, whereas we'll talk about how explosive Pete's Grevinless will be. Uh, my Dagatar deck is very fair. It's one of the ones I often use as, a, as an opening deck when I'm playing with somebody I'm not familiar with because of the fact that it is intrinsically very fair, um, and but it, it, it can and, and has made creatures be very large uh, and give it a very Voltron feel. Revan is one of my favorite lists to play because of how almost like stress-inducing it is to uh, be like, oh, I'm going to pay 25 life now, and there, everyone looks at me like, what? Yeah, I'm going to pay 25 life, I'm going to cast this thing. I've died to this card, like, to this commander before. Like, I've actually died to my own <laughs> spells before, which is hilarious. Um, and then I get to play some really weird, like, old-school creatures that are they're terrible, but yet they make me draw seven cards, or eight cards, or nine cards. So, um, it's, a, it's, it's like, it's like putting gasoline on a, on a, on a, you know, on a fire. So, uh, we're going to dive into it though. So, because our strategies in terms of the first few turns for us are very crucial. The first few turns for Voltron strategies are very crucial as to what we're trying to do because, again, we're racing our opponents. Very similar to like Limited, where you're racing your opponents the next like two, three, four, or five turns. There's no room really for second guessing yourself. And you're not really going to hold up mana much. Um, and if you are, it's because of for one reason or another, you have your commander out quickly and you want to make sure they don't die immediately. So, uh, Bruce, if you want to start, because yours is very green-oriented with that sort of uh, mentality, yeah. and mine, I have a different sort of approach to the first few turns because of the limits I have. Um, but if you'd like to just share with the audience, that would be great. Yeah, for sure. Um, in my list, um, I you will see that mine is suboptimal in this regard, but like increasingly what I would recommend people looking to build Voltron lists, particularly if you're touching on green, is you're looking to find the spells that are going to ramp you um, particularly uh, to put extra lands into play at two mana value. So Nature's Lore, Three Visits, Far Seek, that sort of spell that's going to allow you to put extra lands into play to advance your board state. There's also artifacts that you can play. Uh, so your Sol Ring, Arcane Signets, heck, all the Signets. Um, if you're playing any, any of these Voltron strategies is good. Um, I really like the new Iron Crag. I think the Iron Crag is a new addition that I think has a lot of applicability. Um, but yeah, you're looking to play two mana value things to, to, to get ahead on mana and be able to get yourself uh, onto the board quickly. That means things like, I mean, as I was alluding to, like the mana value of spell of decks is coming down a long way. Um, you know, between 1.6 and 1.9 mana value 
for your cards. So spending things on three and four mana ramp spells like Sky Shroud's Claims and Kadama's Reaches and Cultivates is really not where you want to be anymore because you're falling behind at that point. Other people are getting ahead on land. If you're the green deck, you need to be getting ahead on mana as quickly as you can. And these two mana value spells are the way to do it. Um, also to that same thought, like things like Myriad Landscape and Cross and Verge are like old technology. They're like they're like a horse and buggy compared to like driving a sports car. So um, yeah, the the reality is quite simply that you're looking to get ahead on land um, to be able to deploy multiple your threats and to either protect them or to 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 build them up to the point where they're Voltron level threats. How about you, Pete? What is Greven doing differently? Yeah, so. I am leveraging my life total, and sometimes I'm paying life to actually cast things. And then turn one, two, and three. So like one, two, and three, ideally I want at least two or three lands in my hand. I want a way to get um, to either grant evasion to Grevin by like turn six, if I, can, if I cast them on turn five. Sometimes there are ways where I can cast them on turn four. Um, right. or, or very rarely turn three if I get like Soul Ring and Rakdos Signet. But yeah. the idea is like I just dealt myself a uh, sample hand and I have three lands. I have Witch's Clinic, which already gives them lifelink. So I'm already like halfway there. I have a Mountain, um, Spire of Industry, which mana fixes for me if I have an artifact, and Tainted Citadel, um, and, a, and a Tutor, and then a, a Way to Grand Evasion. And I have Villas. So I have one dead card in my hand right now, which is Villas. All the other cards, I would just I would just play a land, play a spell, see what I draw. And then when I get Greven out, I'm hoping that he sticks. And then I'm just going to hit people in the face as quickly as possible. Um, where I'm not ramping as much, although I have like Dark Ritual in there. So uh, the idea is really just to get to five. I'm counting to five. Uh, really? Right. Uh, it doesn't really matter what I'm really playing. Um, I like to, uh, it's really great if I have an extra card draw, like by turn two or three, like if I have black market connections out or if I have, um, Bob or if, uh, the, the, the three man enchantment dark tutelage is really helpful, but really I'm just looking to get Greven out as quickly as possible. It doesn't really matter what people are playing. Um, sometimes it takes longer. And then if I am slower than the rest of the pod, like say I don't get, get him out immediately on turn five, I wait for the appropriate time to play him when people aren't going to target me. So, um, in a nutshell, I'm not necessarily ramping by turn two, but I'm definitely like considering when is the appropriate time for me to hit, put him out there and swing. Usually, it's like a haste enabler, like angers in my graveyard, for example. I might get him out on turn eight instead of like turn four, depending on the pod. Um, so right. it's really just looking at what my opponents are playing, and like, okay, if I'm playing against a bunch of guys who are playing like big slow decks, I'm gonna get him out as quickly as possible and just start hitting people. If I'm playing some blue decks, right? I'll probably wait a little bit longer to do that, depending on what they're playing. So, yeah, it's just the curve. The curve is by, like, turn five or six. My goal is to have them out there with something on them. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, that's in a nutshell. Every Voltron deck is slightly different in the way that they utilize their resources, right? So right. Absolutely. ours are very sim simple in the, in the way that we're looking to do it. And that goes right into, like, how do we win, right? So... Bruce, yep. how do you power up your deck? Well, so I'm in the, my deck looking to use plus one counters and a number of ways that do not require me to put additional counters, like 
seeing conditional mana into making counters. Like, there's lots of cards. Oh, spend six mana, make a plus one plus one counter. No, no, that's not what I want to do. I want things that make counters and then things that trigger off them. So, Hardened Scales, um, Ozolith, Shattered Spire, uh, the Ozolith, for instance, another one, uh, Winding Constrictor, things like this where they just sit there passively, do the thing, and allow me to accrue a lot of counters very, very quickly. Um, and then oftentimes people will go, oh my goodness, like your Winding Constrictor is a 5-6 and your your Dagatar is a, 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 a an 8-8. Eight, eight. I'm like, yeah, you're not wrong. It's very large. Um and so at that point, I can save up the I can save the mana in my hand uh, to then use it to deploy uh, things that are going to save my commander or my my key pieces from dying. Um, but I'm looking to use those, make ways to put counters on things, make them big, and then to be able to try and push advantage to crush my opponents uh, in combat um, shortly thereafter. So, mm-hmm. um, and what I've often found is that. Um, when you start doing this sort of strategy, the game often grinds down. Lots of people are unwilling to try and get into a fight, a match to tussle with you. Um, and because they recognize that you're going to be, but so they save a lot of blockers back to try and, to try and hold up, which slows the game down. Um, and it actually makes the battlefield more congested. So it's, uh, it's, a, it ends up being a bit of a war of attrition. Uh, yeah, Pete, so- what is, what is, oh, go ahead. I was going to say your your deck Bruce's deck is like a slow burn in in regards to the build up, um, where mine is like uh, when I'm powering my deck up, it is. It's like a rocket, dude. It's like a rocket. Yeah. It's a rocket. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you get it's, on it's that, like, if you get on yeah, that ride, if, if, if the rocket gets on tar- targeted on you and it's coming for you, you're like, yeah. oh boy, it's going to be big. It's going to hit like a ton of bricks and. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, it's more so like people don't realize like, okay, I'm playing this bad creature. That's like a seven, one swing with Grevin becomes like a six, five, but I'm drawing seven cards. Like I'm refilling my hand very fast. I'm using card things to reveal top card pay life put into my hand. Um, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of ways the deck can just kind of go off like paying 20 life and then playing chainer's ignition you know uh and just killing everybody and the board uh is really crazy i've done that once before i've gained like 120 life with this deck um that's like the alternate win con most people will come quickly and try to get blockers in so i've started to try to eliminate uh that problem um so i'm playing cards like uh, there's a construct that is a 1-4 that says no more than one creature can attack, no more than one creature can block each turn. Um, so crawl, crawl space effects. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's Dothy Embrace, which is a, it gives a creature shadow for two black, which is really cool. It's just a pet card that I really like. Um, there's like some other ways that I can push Grevin through. He doesn't have to get through every single time. I've noticed that as well, because some people will just crack back on me immediately. So it's usually leveraging when I can at swing and like have favorable trades slash push damage versus um, when I have to hold back a bit. So yeah, it's it's high risk, high reward here, but enjoyable nonetheless. And then this mm-hmm. this spills into how do we sort of keep our aggressive strategy going? So Bruce, like what removal do you use? And then 
what kind of protection do you use to? Because those are two important pieces of this. Yeah, they're, 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 well, yeah, they're integral pieces to what's going on here. So my deck, because it has access to black and white, I've got lots of really good removal options for uh, what my deck's looking to do. For my, the black spells are usually the, the targeted ones. And those are the, those are things that I'm looking for things that are versatile and flexible to deal with a multitude of different threats. Um, so Mithros and Nethroi is actually a really good one that people have forgotten about. If you're in Abzan Colors, it is excellent, an excellent inclusion because it kills anything and doesn't have the drawback of an Assassin's Trophy or something where they get a land. It just straight up kills the thing. Um, the Utter End is another one. Uh, you could play the, uh, the other black-white one that makes you pay three life to it as well. Anyway, um, there's a whole bunch of them. But the other one is I'm playing things that are really cheap. And, like, one of the best ones I've encountered for just cheap catch-all removal is a murderous cut. There's no there's no restriction. So it's not, like, non-black creatures or artifact creatures or whatever. No, no, it just says kill a creature dead. And because it's four and a black, but you have delve, you delve away four things you don't want and you just often just a single black mana to make something go away. And it's, it's probably underrepresented in the meta, I think it's an excellent, excellent card for a piece of targeted removal and something that people should be looking at. Now, the white then in turn offers me board wipes, um, and I really appreciate things that afford me choice. So I'm a big fan of Tragic Arrogance, for instance, and uh, Dune Blast is another one. Dune Blast is really potent in this in this color combination because you can play it and then you can then like select your sc biggest scary thing, keep it. And then everyone else's things go away, and now you've got you can just smash, uh, smash away. So those are like the the sort of, and then the green offers me a, a, a few other pieces if I want to deal with problematic enchantments or artifacts or things like that. So you've got so like Dramoka's Command actually is surprisingly flexible. Uh, it's not a great card by interest and imagination, but it does just enough to make it annoying where you make people sack a, a, a troublesome enchantment or something. So. Those sorts of things are the way I'm looking to clear the way for my things to get through. But I'm not, <coughs> pardon me, I'm not overly worried about creatures. Um, very few times have I encountered somebody with bigger creatures than me. Um, they might have one, like a singular Eldrazi, but they don't usually use the, like, they're not looking to try and get into a tussling match on the board. So I have to, it's uh, things like the enchantments and the artifacts and planeswalkers that are difficult to remove that I need to save my spells for to get rid of. The protection component is a little bit different. Now, this deck doesn't need to have its commander online in order to make it work. It's a nice to have, but uh, because it, because uh, the vigilance and being able to move counters around, which is funny. I think the last time I played this deck, um, my opponent had a couple of just incidental plus one plus one counters on stuff, and I started taking them off their things. They're like, <laughs> what? Like, you do oh, you could do that. I'm like, yes, I can. So that's a, like a really, it's a really kind of funny feeling that people don't really like. Um, so, but anyway, this sort of deck, like anything else, dies really quickly to, um, to, mana, to board wipes. Uh, so I'm looking to protect my effects with things like indestructible effects, regeneration effects, so Golgari Charm in particular. Um, so I make a stand. I have Golgari Charm. I've got Unbreakable Formation. Um, 
I, I would be getting to do Boromir and putting Boromir in this list as well. And then something like Test Protection would be another option to go in this list as ways to keep my things from dying. Pete, what about you? Like, how are you? What What is this Greven list looking? Are you playing? I know you're in black and red, so you have lots of good options. What are you choosing to do for removal and to keep your stuff safe? Yeah, so, okay. The interesting thing about the deck is I'm sacrificing a lot of potential good protection and removal for speed. So, like, the the cards that I'm playing feed into my strategy somehow. So, like, Feed the Swarm is a perfect example. My One of my favorite, it's a pseudo-removal spell, but it is really fun, and it works. Uh, gain uh, Active Aggression, which is a Phyrexian card, so it's three mana, and you can pay two life uh, for two red pips each, or you can just pay for five. But you gain control of a creature untap it and against haste and what i do is usually i will take the person's best blocker and sacrifice it to grevin um and swing and kill them that way uh, i've done that a few times but then there are other cards like junji right like junji i sacrifice junji it does something right it'll recur uh grevin if someone kills grevin or it'll make people pitch cards because if my opponents have less cards in their hand then they can't remove my grevin so like mine slicer is uh four three creature that i sacrifice and everybody pitches their whole hand uh, very mean but i don't do it all the time of course it's one card out of 100 but it's what i'm doing to prevent people from killing me and then there's some other like interesting like chander's ignition is a win con but it also removes stuff it, it it's a board wipe a one-sided board wipe and I, then, I like i like the inclusion of villas broker of blood too because same yeah. thing like pay life you're, you're, yeah Kill killing things, draw cards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then there's a few others, you know, like Bedevil is just a really good spell, so I play it in the list. Uh, let's see here. Fire Covenant, that's the card I've killed myself with by accident, uh, where you, you, deal, you pay X amount of life, deal X amount of damage divided as you choose among any number of creatures, and you can't redirect that life. Um, Terminate, I'm playing that because it's just a two-mana removal spell. And then protection-wise, there's a few artifacts that are protecting my creature. Like I have, uh, uh, what is it? Shadow Sphere sort of gives life link and trample. It doesn't really protect my stuff, but it allows me to remove hexproof a little bit here and there. Uh, let's see, Mask of Gristlebrand grants evasion. Again, most of there's not that much protection. Whisper Silk Cloak, I guess, and uh, Swift Foot Boots are the big mm. two. Yeah. But I I've, I realized like playing this deck enough that I don't necessarily need to protect Grevin a lot. I just need to outrace my opponent fast enough where they just don't have removal in their hand at the time. Granted, there are a lot of other options I could be playing. Probably um, there's a few instances I need to look at that are twenty cents that give indestructible and lifelink or whatever. Um, I need to look back at this list because there's a lot of more cards that have been printed now that I need to sort of update. But basically, I'm looking at speed, right? So. I'm not playing a ton of removal, honestly. I'm not playing a ton of protection. Um, there are times where I'm just hoping and praying that Grevin doesn't get removed a turn cycle. But that's the <laughs> nature of Voltron, you know? Sometimes you have to sacrifice for redundancy um, because if you play a bunch of removal and protection and you you, you can't win with your commander um, because it's not big enough or whatever, you can't get it to be big enough to kill your opponents, then really you're just playing a bunch of value like cards mm. that are good in a vacuum but don't really fit your strategy. So very, very yeah. reminiscent of, uh, of Limited, right? Where we're sacrificing good bombs for 
uh, you know, redundancy that actually helps our strategy. Like we're playing worse cards in a vacuum, but our decks run beautifully. Um, that's that's basically what you want to do, I'd say, right? In Voltron, in any strategy, is uh, highlighting you're trying to kill people with this big fat creature, um, with this big thick creature. So you're not necessarily worried about um, the protection aspect unless you need it at the time. Because what's the to say you're really going to be able to draw that um, every mm-hmm. single game? Uh, it's almost like it's okay. Like games happen where sometimes like. I know I can't win the game. There's no way. Um, so, yeah. yeah. It is interesting. I need to go back again, find some more tricks, I think, to keep myself alive. But uh, overall, the deck is very, very quick. So there's not as much focus. And with that, I mean, our last few really thoughts are really, what would you say, Bruce, are the top things uh, to derail your deck, I guess? Well, sense. again, for for me, the biggest the biggest problem I run into to t- to derail my strategy is to remove my deck, remove my creatures that are going to wear all those counters. If I can, if I can keep my board state intact, even if they lose all the counters, that's whatever. I can build the counters back easily. But it's the, do I have the raw material on the board to keep counters on things? And that's really the the most important piece for me. Um, and so that's that's how you derail me. Um, and the, I've worked really diligently to try and improve the resiliency so I don't fold to a singular wrath of God, um, because that is, you know, my, you know, one of my big weaknesses, but, um, so that's why I dedicated a number of slots to things that, you know, protect my things. So unbreakable formation, Teferi's protection, make a stand, uh, Gugari charm, inspiring call. That's five slots. Um, and then if I get the Boromir in here, then that's like a sixth slot where I'm dedicating to the process of not losing the game so I can turn around, use my creatures, and, and hopefully win the game. Simple mm-hmm. enough. What about you? What about Grevin? How does Grevin <laughs> get derailed? A lot of it's self-inflicted, to be honest. It's being greedy with my life total. So there are ways where I could just pay 30 life. He's a 35-5 now, right? And if I have no way to gain life back the biggest uh hurt for me is when people negate my lifelink uh because i have various ways to give lifelink um and trample is not as important but it is important when it comes to people with big board states so really it's if i can't beat you fast enough i'm going to lose there's just no way around (laughs) it usually um so i've tried to slowly put in more cards that grant some sort of foe like lifelink right so uh, Noxious Gear Hulk is one that I've I'm testing currently because it has menace. It's a five four, but it also blows up a creature, and you get to gain life equal to that creature's toughness. I believe um, there's this a few other creatures that grant me some some life back, and then there's also um, some combat tricks I have that give life link and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean the deck is fast enough that it it goes. Um, so I'm not really concerned about that. It's more so if someone's playing a token deck, I'm probably going to lose, you know, unless I can give it evasion. And it's very obvious. So the deck is easy to be played because you really can sort of gauge in, in like five to six turns. Hey, am I going to win this game or lose this game? Do I have a chance? Right. So that's, that's, that's yeah. almost like refreshing, right? Because I don't care if I win, but if I, I do something really meme like uh, I used to play Repaint Kind. So I'd like pay life to get down to one and then everyone goes down to one or like 
I killed a table once with packed weapon and repaying kind um, because I paid all my life, went down to negative, and then I just like won the game because nobody had any life except me. So <laughs> technically, even though, you know, so that was like a really meme way to do it. I sim- simply, uh, I cut repaying kind now because I wanted to try a few other cards because I like to rotate cards out of this deck. There's so many fun options for this sort of strategy. Oh my goodness, Pete! 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 Pete. You're a bad man, buddy. You're a bad, bad person. It's okay. So, yeah. Um, magic is fun. Uh, just know that like you're not gonna win every single game playing a Voltron deck. You're gonna get crushed nope. sometimes. People are going to remove your Grevin and your Dagatar, and you're gonna be very sad. But it's okay because there are times where you're just gonna crush people, and you're gonna feel good about yourself that day. And it's going to be like, wow, I'm on easy mode right now. Like, I don't even have to think about this. So, there you yeah, go. No, for sure. <laughs> it's, it's lots of fun. Um, so, folks, both of the lists are going to be in the show notes. If you wanted to go and have a look for yourself, both of these are very functional decks. Um, they are, I mean, mine's about $250, so it's, like, reasonably budget-accessible. like budget accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, You don't have to spend a fortune to make the deck go. Um the Grevin list Grevin that Pete has because of the lands, uh, especially because yeah. of like Ancient Tomb and the Tarnished Citadel and some other stuff. But yeah. um, I sent Bruce this this morning. There's a $20 version of this deck that's now yeah. only $50 because of the price hikes. But again, there are many ways you can build this. Most of the yeah. key pieces are 20 cents or less, most of the yeah. key pieces are a dollar or less. So I'm just playing expensive cards because I upgraded the land base in the last five, like four to five years because I know that the lands themselves just crush opponents right like ancient tomb allowing me to pay to life every turn um and to ramp out very quickly uh because it is my two mana rock right in, in the yeah. sense of it yeah. Um, yeah i have to draw it but it is my two mana rock um and you know so like you could build a very budget version of this deck and have a fun yeah. time with it with your friends and that's that's all absolutely. that matters really so absolutely so yeah. it's, both of them are there welcome for, we're happy to if you have questions about them please reach out to us we're happy to to discuss the the decks further we love to talk magic um but thanks very much everybody for taking the time and walking <laughs> through with us uh thanks to pete and uh thanks, as Bruce. always folks whenever you uh wherever you get to next play magic have fun be good to each other and uh, we'll talk to you again next week thanks so much everybody take care have fun take care everybody play old cards again and enjoy your time in this journey we Always appreciate our audience. We appreciate uh, working together. And this has always been fun. So next week, stay tuned. Halloween episode is going to be a banger. I promise. Um, we're, we're excited for that release. So have a good week, everyone. Thank you. And uh, see you next week. Bye.